Welcome to Zack Attack. We're never going to be better than this. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, as well. And this movie and this podcast sort of go hand in hand. Zack Attack is going to be a monthly look at Zac Efron's film career. Uh, but instead of working from the beginning and going to the most recent movies, we're going to start at the beginning and work our way back. And since We Are Your Friends is the most recent one with a widespread DVD release because Dirty Grandpa's not out yet, we figured we would start here. And it makes sense that we start here, I think, because this is a movie that Joe over there became obsessed with last year when he saw it. I love this movie. And demanded that I see it. I mean, it's kind of, like, beautifully stupid, but what what about it did you love so much when you first saw it? Well, first of all, I'm really big into electronic music, so, like, I'm a huge fan of stuff like this. So when they had a movie that looked like pretty much the worst view you could have on a dj movie i got really excited about it and it just you know came through with everything i could have ever wanted in this now do you think that this is like accurate to djs or is it like wildly inaccurate because wildly like... inaccurate oh dude it's terrible <laughs> it's really really bad we have a lot of dj friends and these they just laugh at this movie it's so terrible like he's he's not even djing most of the time so so there there is that one at least one real dj right that he like passes off his set to to Zach Efron to Cole in the beginning yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually a couple cameos in the movie. Uh, the first one is, like, at the very beginning, it's Dylan Francis, who actually, Dylan Francis worked with Zach Efron in the movie, teaching him how to DJ beforehand. That's, like, the scene when they're in the club, and he's like, oh, man, that guy was a dick. Like, yeah, that's, that's Dylan Francis. The next cameo you run into is... Alesso, when they're at the pool, like pool scene, kind of, he's on the decks, and then at the end you get a shot of Nicky Romero too. So they did sprinkle some DJs throughout the movie, which I think is pretty funny. Like lots of like really big names by DJ standards. So, and like I really wonder why they did this because like it's not like you said, like it's not accurate. I guess it's just like hey, people aren't really making movies about us for the most part. I guess you know we have to embrace whatever's out there about us, even if it's a terrible, weird kind of fake movie. Yeah, I think they were just trying to, like, draw some teens to it, you know? Like, oh, man, like, <laughs> these guys are going to be in it, but, like, they don't really do anything in the movie, and they're not actually characters. They're just, like, on screen for three seconds. Yeah, part of the reason why I love it, so. Because what's weird about this movie is that it's kind of like this weird combination of good actors, like, legitimately great actors, and then, like, Emily Ratajkowski. Like, John Bernthal, <laughs> who plays Cole's boss, which we'll get to later, is one of my, like, legitimate favorite oh, actors. he's a great actor, He's yeah, incredible. I agree. I don't know why he's in this movie. <laughs> and he plays a terrible role in the movie, too. <laughs> it's like, wasn't he in Boiler Room, too? I don't remember. No, he, he, was... wasn't, he wasn't in Boiler Room. He was in something else. But it reminds me of a character from Boiler Room. It's like, all of a sudden, they just cut in this random character from Boiler <laughs> Room and like made him like a bad guy. We've got Wes Bentley, who plays James, who is the guy that Cole sort of admires, too. And he's been pretty good in other things. And he's not terrible in this. What was he in? Just, like, what else was he in? He was in American Beauty. Oh, yeah, he is. That's right. I totally forgot he was in that that was him, yeah. Interstellar. Um, he was in at least one Hunger Games movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot that that was him. I remember looking at, like, IMDb one day when I was, like, watching this movie for, like, that probably eighth or ninth time with Rachel that um, it was him. <laughs> but I forgot about that. Yeah, it's definitely him. And then you have Emily Ratajkowski, who is transitioning from model to actress, and she's been in things like Gone Girl and whatever. But she's just not... She's pounding the whole time. 
Yeah. I, I can't stop I can't stop noticing her upper lip sticking out of the whole movie. Once you notice it, you can't stop noticing it. It's really and bad. What, what's kind of weird is that this movie is basically entourage for DJs, kind of. And she was in the entourage movie as herself, but basically just as a sex object. Here, it's the same thing, except she's also asked to carry the romantic lead and also asked to carry like a third of the movie. And it's crazy to ask that much of her who really has been in maybe four or five movies ever? Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. It's pretty much like the entourage of DJ movies. And um, (laughs) they definitely just, like, casted her as a sex object. And I think that she was, like, trying to push further in this movie, like, trying to show her acting skills and her range. But it just came off super flat to me. But, I mean, like, she's really pretty, though. And that's really, I guess, all you need. Yeah, that's pretty much all they needed for the movie. I really don't know as much about Zac Efron as I do about Nicolas Cage or Keanu Reeves when we started those podcasts, and Keanu Reeves, the Keanu Club, starting today as well. Um, I don't really know enough about or as much about Zac Efron. I'm not sure if I really think he's a good actor or a bad actor. I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. I think people chalked him up as this like heartthrob who was just this pretty boy who couldn't act or whatever. And I saw him, I think, in 17 again, which we'll get to at some point. And I was, like, legitimately impressed by his skills. Here, he's not great, but I don't think that's his fault. I think it's the movie. Definitely. I think it's a lot of the the writing. Like, the dialogue was terrible. But, um, yeah, no, I agree. He's a great... I think he's going to be a great actor. Like, better than we expect now. He's just doing, like, these shitty roles. And this movie, for sure, was just, like, stuck in a bad role. Well, what's weird about this movie, about this actual script of the story or whatever, is that it came from people who have basically never written things before, yeah. or never have writing credits. Yep. It came from this guy, Richard Silverman, who never has another writing credit. Uh, Megan Oppenheimer wrote the screenplay. That was her first screenplay. Max Joseph, who directed it, who came from Catfish. video documentaries. Yeah, he came from Catfish. And Catfish, yep. They, the two of them like wrote it. I don't understand where it came from or why it happened or you know, why it's a thing, but whatever the reason behind it is, there's not much for anybody here to work with. And so I don't think it's necessarily fair to judge people on this, good or bad, because Zac Efron really doesn't, like, grow. Like, his growth in this movie is just coming up with a track. And, like, everything (laughs) everything else around it, like, you know, in terms of him figuring out that his job is kind of bullshit or whatever, falling in love with Emily Ratajkowski, like, that's all supposed growth and, like, the actual, like, what we're following. But that stuff almost doesn't matter. Like, the whole movie is just him figuring out how to make that one track to get his DJ career started and then go from there. Yeah. It's It's just a weird story. It's really weird. Um, I always think that this story, like when I describe it to people, I always describe it as like a bunch of old white dudes in a room trying to figure out what electronic music is about. And they wrote the, and they wrote the screenplay like as a collaborative effort of just like these old white dudes in suits, and like that's what they came up with. It's a pretty terrible look at like what the music industry <laughs> and, and like all of electronic music is about. Well, what I love about this movie, and I think it's most of the reason why you would say that this movie's not good, is that there is so little conflict for so long. That from the start of the movie, uh, his roommate's on the phone. And what's his roommate's name, the, the bald guy? Oh, I just call him Brotato. In all of my notes, he's just Brotato. So, I, I have no idea what his name is. So, Brotato's on the phone with the club that he promotes for. And he's just negotiating with them. And literally everything he wants, they give him. 
They're like, we don't want that 9 p.m. set. We want that 11 p.m. set. And we don't want $5. We want more than $5. All right, we're going to get all that real cool. And then that's it. And like, yeah. Zac Efron just sitting there smiling. And there's nothing. Looking beautiful. Then, looking beautiful in the background. And, like, the whole, like, point of writing the screenplay is to have, like, a compelling movie is that in every scene there should be conflict. And it's not necessarily two people fighting, but it's, you know, somebody not getting what they want. Yeah. Exactly. Every scene. And the first, like, 45 (laughs) minutes of this movie, there's just no tension. I think that plays into, like, the teen teen film kind of thing. I think this is, like, they just wanted kids to have this, like, turn your brain off, everything will work for you if you try or not kind of movie. Like, that. I think that was pretty much the theme of what they were going for like yeah we're just gonna get what we want no matter what and then like (laughs) that's just how it worked out for them well because like the life that they're living is that you know it's not great they're they don't have jobs that they love (laughs) they don't really have girlfriends they're still living at home but like it's gonna be okay because they have faith in themselves and it's just a matter of getting the right job or cole becoming an actual like paid dj or whatever yeah and all gonna be taken care of and by the end of the movie that's true <laughs> like, yeah oh yeah yeah i definitely want to talk about how much closure there is in this movie <laughs> <laughs> also the movie moves it, like playing into your like no conflict thing the movie moves ridiculously fast i know it's only an hour and a half movie but there's like it just jumps huge sections of conflict like of conflict that they could have put in the movie or sure. just completely skipped but at the same time like nothing's happening yeah, yeah, no, nothing is, yeah, absolutely nothing like is happening. Like, it's That's... moving so fast, but it's also, like, moving so slow, because it's just, like, like what else is, it's just getting to his next set, and there's, like, the week in between sets, or whatever, the week in between parties, there's just nothing else going on. Like, they're just roofing, I guess. I don't even know. Yeah, they're just roofing mostly. His dad's all pissed off. The more I watch it, the more I catch that there are other characters in the movie. Like, in the beginning, there's, like, a random mom that we never see again. There's actually a lot of people in the movie that they just bring in and then totally don't bring back yeah the dad the dad comes in all pissed off once and then i think we see him again near the end of the movie just like when brotato tells him that he's gonna be like moving out soon or something like it's actually just like a weird scene where he just like is like oh yeah we have some money now and then it just cuts to a song he didn't he doesn't even finish the like monologue he just goes out oh man it's great and they go out so the whole thing is that cole is djing but he's not like a paid dj yet he's just doing it for free at a club yeah. and like the whole thing is that they're happy with it because they get free alcohol you know, they can seem really cool his to girls. He's becoming a better promoter. He's, like, you know, yep. working his way up. And, like, his acting buddy needs some money. And he's also a drug dealer. So, like, he makes <laughs> his money at the club because his buddy's a promoter. His other buddy's a DJ. And they're pretty legitimately great at promoting. Like, they just go to a school and, I oh, mean, they yes. are four good-looking dudes or whatever. But they're just going and they're just getting every girl. And, like, the, 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 the first event that we see them promote, they say that they get 562 heads turn out. Like, yeah, it's, that's it's, a like, ton, you're, you're, dude, for, like, like a club yeah. on a Thursday night, like that's a, that's a big turnout. And Zach Efron's like handing girls his phone, and just like put your name, put your phone number in. I'll get you a free bottle. I think it would like, work in real life, though. Like, dude, yeah, look at Zach Efron. Like, if he just <laughs> handed some girl his phone, they'd be like, yeah, of course. But what's interesting or what's important to note is that there is a conflict in this movie, and it's sort of like the haves versus the have-nots. But also, that doesn't matter. True. Like they live in the valley, and they're the have-nots. And in the valley, the valley is as have not as you can be in the valley. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and like some upper middle like most... class oh, white Jesus. kids in in the valley. So if you don't know about the valley, here's what you need to know about the valley. It's known for three things: <laughs> the porn industry, ditzy girls, and the best sushi in the Western Hemisphere. And it's always in a strip mall 
always. And the only time that ever comes into play, aside from like maybe subtext throughout a little bit, is when they're at a party later and they're just hitting on a girl, kind of, but she's sitting with her boyfriend. Yeah, I don't this know is the pool party about. scene. This is the pool party scene where, like, um, Zach Efron's, you know, he gets asked to DJ James's house party because James obviously can't DJ his own house party. So he has Zach Efron come in and then his friends show up to pick him up from the gig. They come in and they want to hang out. But, like, you know, Zach Efron knows that they shouldn't be there. Like, they're not part of this crowd, so. But they're still, like, I don't I, I don't understand, like, they're just, like, I guess, killing time and just talking to a pretty girl. And they're, yeah, they're, just trying, to, they're just trying to be at this day party, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really bizarre, yeah, the, what are they going to do there? Like, they should just grab the drink and, like, bullshit with themselves, but yeah. they want to mingle. Instead, <laughs> instead, they start talking about sushi and the best sushi in the valley. And the guy, one of my favorite lines in the movie great says, line, great line. does this girl look like she eats in the valley? <laughs> I don't know and what that means, but it's so his, beautiful. His yes. comeback to that is, you're dressed like Hillary Clinton, bro, and then knocks him <laughs> into the pool. And then I have that in front, my notes, too. You're James dressed like Hillary out. Clinton, bro. <laughs> Such a great and line. Just, and they're just like, they get kicked out of the party. And then, like, there's no fallout from that. Like, Zac Efron's also, not mad at them. Also, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but, like, he takes them home and then immediately comes back. Or, like, they, like, skip a couple days and come back. I don't yeah, know. No, it, no, he skips a couple days. So it's, like, the scene's just, like, they ride home. And then the next scene is them riding back to the house. And he shows up <laughs> with a check and he's, like, I didn't break up with you, bro. This is the whole jumping time thing really yeah, quick with no explanation. This movie could take place over, like, three weeks or six months or, like, a year and a half. I have no idea. Well, if it take them a year and a half to make this one shit song at the end, that'd be pretty bad. Cole knows that to be a DJ, thinks to be a DJ, he needs a laptop, some, some talent, talent, some and, talent, and one track, and that track is your ticket to everything. He's sort of simplifying things, and he realizes that he's wrong, but he's not really wrong. Just by the end of the movie, it changes that like you need one track to get things going. That he basically thinks that if he comes up with that one track, he can just become a millionaire and just coast. Which is stupid to think, first of all. But, like, it's also his, his initial idea of what it means to be a DJ or how to be a successful DJ. Yeah. Isn't that far off from, like, what he actually realizes at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really funny that I wonder if the DJs that were cameoed in this knew this scene of the movie, like, when they were, <laughs> when they were, you know, like, all you need is one track and some talent. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and all these guys are showing up here. Like, and you're right, though. At the end, he comes, he comes to realize that he did only need one track and some talent, <laughs> and he became a very famous DJ. Opening up Summerfest for James Reed, we'll get Summer to that. Summerfest. Summerfest. I have written down here the best night of your life, and I don't know why. It's the all best night of your life is what they're pitching their party for that Thursday is. Every oh. party that they promote is going to be, I promise this is going to be the best night of your life. This right, right, Thursday right. side room club DJ is going to give you the best night of your life. Well, you play drunk in love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that's another woman. She's a character that comes in, bangs squirrel, and then leaves. We'd never see her again. Well, there's two drunk love girls, at least. There is. The one is the girl from the Does She Look Like She Eats in the Valley, and the first one is the one that bangs uh, Squirrel in the car. Yeah, it's the same girl. Okay. I wish that we followed Squirrel around more. We'll get to Squirrel more later, but, like, Squirrel's an interesting character. I think he's one of the he's, best characters, if and not he's the only, best character. He's the only one... I mean, like, Zac Efron sort of has, like, this internal struggle that he's not happy with what's going on, but, you know, Brotato and the other guy, the actor guy... They're sort of, like, mostly okay with it, but Squirrel is just, like, 
in the background, and then, you know, three quarters of the way through the movie, is just like, I'm not happy, and then he drops the line in the movie, are we ever going to be better than this? Yes. And you sort of wish that you had that internal struggle, and I wonder if that was cut out. I wonder if they're like, that's kind of too much of a bummer for the movie. I have no idea. Sure. I agree. I wish I, w- I wish we would have seen more Squirrel's perspective. It makes, it, without Squirrel there, it makes Zac Efron seem like the moral compass of the movie, even though he's a pretty shitty moral compass, leaving his friends behind like at any chance he can get. Right. Because so. Squirrel's sort of like articulating what Zac Efron's thinking and not actually saying. Yeah, yeah. And- and he's doing it in like an articulate way, and he's doing it in a way that like resonates with the audience, and that really sort of sums up the movie. And they're just like, "No, oh, we're just gonna give him one scene toward the end of the movie." Because why? <laughs> yeah, that just that diner scene, man. Speaking of diner scenes, earlier there's a diner scene, and they're just talking about like these kids who basically don't have jobs aside from auditioning for parts, playing unpaid DJ sets, and then promoting, promoting clubs, for the club where they're making are, no money. Yeah, are looking at six thousand dollar a month houses. Eventually, they are going to rent a three thousand dollar a month house, which is still beautiful and gigantic. I don't know where the $6,000 a month house they were looking at is, but it's... It was an apartment. It was an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment. Or, right? Wasn't it like a two or three... They had a studio in it. They were going to have a studio in it, right? Or, like, an office room or something? (laughs) Yeah. They were talking about it. And this is when we first meet John Bernthal, and he strolls through the diner with this beautiful girl and pays for their breakfast, and then he gets in his beautiful car. Did anybody else notice it's breakfast at night? Like, he, he says, I'll pay for your brunch, brunch, and then it cuts outside, and it's pitch black out. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I don't know if it was just, like, I don't know if that's a mistake or that just him being, like, whatever, but I, I, I love that. Yes, yeah, same. And then the Ferrari thing is definitely what brought me to Boiler Room, just, like, the scene of the Ferrari outside, and, like, the dude just pulls away, and nobody knows what he does, yeah. Oh, man, it's so it's Oh, it's all so good. And then we cut to Cole's DJ set, and there's just nobody outside. And he's basically playing an empty room. He plays the girl who says, can you play Drunk in Love? And he says, no. Yeah, what well, club and, has, like, an, an outside in front of a bush stage is what I want to know, too. Also, what club, like, keeps a line and also isn't packed everywhere? It, you know what I, I mean? I mean, that's like, pretty L.A. Yeah, I mean, like, I can see that. That's actually pretty L.A. Like when I was out there, like there's clubs. Yeah, yeah. There's there's clubs with lines outside and nobody inside. Yeah, that's how it works, man. That's pretty. That's probably the most realistic part of the movie. Is this? There's a huge line outside the club, but nobody inside, and everybody (laughs) inside just has bottle service. Like, and nobody's like actually on the dance floor. And actually, that that girl, the drunken love girl, says the line. She says, "This party sucks. LA's dead." dead. Yeah. Hey Cole, can you play drunken love? And he just says no. And so she even knows the party sucks, but this is just like, what else are they gonna do? Like, this is just what they do. This is where they go. And we don't really follow her, but she's sort of the same place in life as they are, right? That she seems a little old older, place. though, but I can't tell if like she was just like an older, like older casting, or if she was because she seems like they even p- kind of project her as older. You know what I mean? They like they're like, hey, Stacy. I think her name's Stacy. They all like kind of know who she is. She's like this old groupie that runs around the club all the time. So we also get here one of my favorite lines, one of the best lines of the movie, when Brotato's outside bouncing and sort of <laughs> promoting and making sure people don't come in, and yeah. somebody somebody offers him a hundred. He, they try to get. He says he knows his boy Ari. Right? Is his name Ari? I think the actor. I don't his name remember. Is Ari. I think so. Yeah. And like he says, I don't care, and he offers him a hundred dollars. He goes, "Thanks, bro." And he says, 
don't bro me if you don't know me. Yeah. <laughs> and then just lets him in. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, like, he takes such offense to this bro, he, but he I guess the hundred dollars. And the kid looks, like, really punked, too. Like, the kid has, like, this, like, very scared expression and walks in very solemnly, like, after he gets told not to bro him. It's just, like, <laughs> very minor conflict scene that they made way more intense than it needed to be. And then we get inside the club, and I think this is what my... I love this movie in spite of knowing that it's bad. But there's things about it that for like a, that I just can't really excuse. And the fact that this is a movie about music, about DJs, about clubs, there is such little attention paid to the sound and the mixing and the score. Oh, and this yeah. club is so quiet. It's so quiet. And I don't understand... He has, I mean, his, he has his, like... I don't know if he was supposed to be DJing with vinyl when he's, like, waving... James Reed is waving the vinyl around, or if that's, like, his, like, Serato vinyl. It's just, like... Is he DJing with vinyl in an L.A. club of, like, top 40 hits, and he's just, like, waving (laughs) it at these girls and, like, dancing all around? It was, like, very Steve Aoki to me, so... But we see, like, Emily Ratajkowski for the first time, and she seems bored, and she's just drinking a drink, and Cole goes up to her, and, like, they're having a conversation at normal volume. Like, they're not in a club. They're just, like, anywhere, you know? And they're just talking yeah, about... Yeah, for being, like, not in the back of the... I mean, I guess maybe they were in the back of the club is what they were trying to project, but still, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no volume. There's, like, no background music. They just cut it completely. I agree. And they're both kind of talking crap about James and about how... What, is he, what does he look good. like? Do you like him? He looks like he's getting paid too much or something, yeah. Yeah. She finds out that he's kind of a club promoter, and she's like, well, bye. And I get that, but also I don't get that, but I mean, whatever. I mean, I guess it's well, just sort like of like... she's like the manager of the talent, so like, you know, this club promoter comes up, he's like clearly trying to hit on every girl to like seduce them into bottle service. So I can right. see her being like kind of dismissive of him. That's fair. Yeah. And so he sort of strikes out on her and goes outside, and he actually, that's where he meets up with James. And we don't know at this point that Emily Ratajkowski is dating James. No. So he's dating James. But it's sort of weird that he strikes out on his girlfriend, and then actually sort of, like, in a weird way, like, hooks up, like, hits it off with the guy. You yeah, know, like, right? That's also a great scene. That was like, uh, I like the, he takes a hit of his spliff, and he's like, <laughs> oh, what is this? Are you French? <laughs> like, Yeah, that's that's a really good one, too. Never mix THC with nicotine. It clogs up the high. It's not about making it last. It's about enjoying it. I think that was like a good tone for the movie, right? And that's when the tone <laughs> is set. It's not about making it last. It's about enjoying it. And that line, and I feel like four or five other lines in this movie are all phrased as the most important advice you'll ever get in your life. Oh, yeah. And everything about this movie is so serious that, like, all right, if you only hear one thing, hear this. It's about <laughs> enjoying the high. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's all right, And then great. five like, minutes later, you get this another nugget of sage-like wisdom just dropped <laughs> on you. And they go to a party, James and Cole, and they get there, and he slips Cole back. PCP? I think I think they were drinking it out of his flask, but I, I'm not sure if you can consume PCP from a flask. I don't know, but like it's it's a really great scene. Like it almost like doesn't belong in this movie. No, it's like if you cut this scene from the movie, it would be like a really awesome short film. You know what I mean? Like just like from that from the back of the club to like the end of the party would have been like a really great short film. The, the paintings are coming alive. The, like, the paint is like dripping yeah, off the walls. He says, like, I think the painting's moving. No, that's just the PCP talking or something. <laughs> it's, like, there's this whole montage where the paint is sort of consuming people, and people are turning into paint people. Yeah. And we see Cole like, kissing people. And while we see him doing this, 
everybody around is sort of getting some level of like pity, angry, or weird sex. Like Brotato's like hitting on this one yeah. girl. She's like, look, she's like, look, I'll sleep with you, but you have to know two things. Number one, you cannot tell anybody about it. <laughs> this is purely pity sex. And number two, you've got to stop talking right now. Yeah. And he's like, he's got such little self-esteem. He's just like, all right, that's a win yeah, for me. Yeah, he's like thumbs up and just like runs with her. And then Squirrel is um is hooking up with the Can You Play Drunken Love girl, and and she makes like a world a weird squirrel reference to his nuts or something. <laughs> this isn't the winter. Pull your nuts out or something like True. that. You know, movie star is hooking up with the girl in the photo booth. Pretty ironic. And James Reed is making out with a girl who's not Sophie, but we still don't know that they're, he's dating Sophie. And we're not going to know until the next morning when Zac Efron wakes up at his house and he sees Sophie there. Again, this clip just completely ends. You know, middle of the party. This could have went like a really cool way and they just stop it and put him in the living room. And this is when we get our first real moment of truth, is that when he wakes up in the living room and finds out that Sophie is there and sort of knows that he's like, oh, I just, like, talk shit to, her, to this guy's girlfriend about him. You know, if he if she wanted, like, she could really screw me over, blah, blah, blah. And then, like, that, none of that even happens. But what's even what happens is even worse, kind of. James Reed's like, all right, let me, let, let me play hear this what track. Play this track that's going to change the and world. It's so, it's so boring. It's so boring. Yeah, yeah, it's really terrible. And so I wonder if they like, let Zac Efron actually make that track. If, <laughs> and that's what he came up with. That would, <laughs> that would be the best the best resolution I could have to that. That'd be so sad. <laughs> that would be hilarious. And after that song goes over like a lead balloon, he's like, James Reed's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm done here. And then Emily Radicassi drives him home. He says, call him a cab. Even worse, he yeah. says, call him a cab. And she's like, no, I got errands to run. I'll, I'll drive him home anyway. And she sort of apologizes for him. Like, this is the real first real conflict of the movie that we're, you know, he's had like a good night up to here. You know, he's he met up with his idol. He's networking, he yeah. He took drugs with his, his favorite DJ, gets back to his house, and then he plays a song and he doesn't like it. And so she's like, you know, I'm sorry about that. He's just, you know, really opinionated or whatever. And he sort of just brushes it off. And, like, there, there should be, I feel, they should pay more attention to this moment. Because this is the first, there's, like, slap face. There's that, and there's also some other conflict going on here, which is, like, that's the car scene where they're talking. And, you know, Zac Efron discovers that she's not in school anymore because, you know, she can't afford it or whatever what are you doing with your life you know like why didn't you go to college you like well at least if you're doing something better it would be okay and they kind of right. come to the conclusion that they're both in shitty situations and what's weird about this scene again is like what i started talking about before it's that it's so quiet like they're just driving not listening to anything there's nothing like instrumental on the score it's <laughs> literally just the two of them driving and talking and when there's like pauses between their conversation there's just no sound and it's just so jarring that there's just nothing layered underneath a dj's manager and a dj ride in a car (laughs) with no music playing yeah Yeah. not even like quietly in the background it's just it's weird it's weird really weird they all get paid from the previous night or you know the previous week or whatever who knows how long time lasts and they're all pissed (laughs) off about the payment and then this is when they all go to work for john bernthal and they're all going to make about 750 bucks for each person that they help out that it's like this foreclosure business, and you know if somebody's going to lose their house, they can sort of negotiate things, blah, blah, blah. And it seems like they're making money, but we only see Cole do one thing once. We never see anybody else do anything at work. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're always just like dicking around at work, but like the first week, they make like $1,000 each or something. 
Yeah. I think that that's like the, what the split was was like a grand each because we see like Cole put like a grand in the shoebox underneath the bed. So yeah, there's like this little like you know montage of Cole making money and he's got this the shoebox under his bed and he's just throwing like he's got thousands of dollars in there yeah. by the end of the movie and just you know I guess he's helping other people out and later we realize how sort of shady John Bernthal is and, like, what they're actually doing to these people. But it's just, it's strange that, like, I guess they're good at their job or relatively good at their job. Well, they're promoters. I can see them being good at the job, you know? like their whole Their whole job before that was, like, sell girls into coming to this club on Thursday night. I think they can convince, like, you know... Uh, divorcees in the valley <laughs> to sell their houses to them. And so I guess once, like, the going gets good, things keep going, and then James invites Cole to DJ his party, and he's gonna pay him, he's gonna make a little cash, he wants to make Sophie dance, he wants to, you know, whatever, he just yeah. wants, like, I guess he's doing him a favor, but he also knows that this kid has talent, he just wants to, probably somebody can get on the cheap or whatever. He wants to mentor him. I, you know what, I, th- I think that this whole thing stems from, like, um, that we see a little bit, a glimpse of later, is that James seems like he's gone stagnant, and he's, like, bringing Cole in and wants right. to mentor him to, like, you know, revitalize him. Uh, there's, like, a scene like... late that he's, like, he's like um, I haven't written anything in weeks, and he's, like, try years, you know? I also feel like James realizes that he's alone and that, you know, Zach is, like, hungry to learn more and hungry to, like, be around, yeah. sort of, like, listen to him. And I think it's sort of, it's a little self-serving, maybe. True. Like, he's doing a nice thing, but he's also sees this as an opportunity to be like, I can really, you know, make myself feel great by just, like, throwing this kid some bones or whatever. Definitely, definitely agree. And so they're dancing at the party, and the party's really dead, and then Sophie comes up to Cole, and she, this is like the big moment of the movie, and she's like, you need to loosen up this stiff party, like, people are too stiff, you need to loosen them up. Yeah. And this is when we get the whole, like, The great DJ montage, yeah. Yeah. And like, this is, you, like, you legitimately like this song, right? Like, you think this is like a pretty decent set, like this is the best set in the movie? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I think the pool set was great, actually, Rachel agreed, she said the same thing, um, they were playing some great songs. I like, I, uh, I was just like checking out the track list on, of it online before we started, and that song, I Like It by Fake Blood is really awesome, it's like a really kicking song, I like, I was really enjoying that. The, the soundtrack isn't too bad for how bad the movie is. <laughs> <laughs> like it was really surprising in the in the club scene they're playing like this um chami remix of aluna george which is really awesome like yeah the soundtrack was pretty like they have some they have some good tunes in there and so they say the whole like lesson of this of this set that you know is the best set in the movie in terms of the the construction is that you're supposed to start at 120 bpm lock in and then start bringing your audience control up their circulatory song. system yeah, you grab hold of their entire circulatory system. And then a popular myth says 128 beats per minute is the rate that synergizes most of your heartbeat, and that's the magic number. And once you get there, that's when you control their entire circulatory system. Literally and every DJ I've talked to about this has said that that's just complete bullshit, and it's not even like a <laughs> myth. Like, I've actually brought this up, and we but all within the world, about it. within the world of the movie, within the world this of Zac party Efron, yes. that Sophie says, these people don't dance before, before midnight. midnight. Nope. Within, like... Ten minutes, they're all losing their minds on the dance floor. Like, this is the best set oh, ever. I know. Life. I mean, it was a damn good set. I, I would have been dancing at this pool party too. Like he, he actually slayed. So I was really happy with it. But it, at the same time, it was like they went from like you know hors d'oeuvre cocktail hour to like you know rager at three p.m. in front of this pool. So and it's at the same party that this is when the friends show up. They you know tackle them into the mm-hmm. pool. But the same 
thing that this is when Cole goes inside with James, and James is like yeah. actually giving advice and saying, "This know, is like the first time we get to the studio, and we see him like, yeah, engaged, trying to be too many different people." And we can also find for the first time that like you know this is this is the first example that anybody in this universe has read a book because <laughs> James quotes Emerson. He says, "Imitation is suicide," and so he's basically saying you know you have to find your signature, and that's what Zac Efron does for the rest of the next like forty minutes of the movie. The rest of the movie, yeah, he's gonna figure out his signature. What makes him stand apart? What makes him him? Really? Yeah. That's, that's that's the great, this sounds like Skrillex's cousin made it, and Zac Efron <laughs> drops like one of my personal favorite lines where he's like, that's what music is about right now, you just want the biggest drops. And like, <laughs> that, that's so stupid, and I love it, yeah. The only thing that James likes about this one song, and this is the same song he played earlier for him, but, you know, before... Yeah, he doesn't the- really so- like it, but he like, he nitpicks there's, out this one sound. There's one honest hand clap... Organic. And James James says, sounds have soul. Build them from scratch. Find new ones. That's your problem. You don't listen. It's kind of like a surprise. Like, he, he starts to listen. But at the same time, you know, he hears Emily Ratajkowski zipping up and down her jacket. But at the same time, like, we don't really hear him listen for the next, like, 20 minutes of the movie. No, we don't hear him listen, even though every preview showed him just listening. You know, every preview of this movie was just, like, a montage of him listening and clipping the track together at the end. And what's really funny is that they don't he doesn't really listen until he's forced to when he's running and his phone dies. He actually has to take his headphones off and like listen yeah. to the birds. And we haven't addressed that he like he had his headphones on the entire movie. This guy, I swear that he showered with his headphones on. He has his headphones on the entire time. Did you he see just like no no like in the beginning like I mean like oh, yeah, he yeah. wakes up with his headphones on. Um, we had a drinking game to this movie, and one of the one of the rules was drink every time Zach Heffron's wearing his headphones, but not DJing. <laughs> It's like ninety five percent of the movie, and so James offers Cole or offers to help Cole out, and he's like, "You can use the studio whenever you want." And then he's drumming, and Cole's on the piano, and Emily Ratajkowski's just like like singing things like down, sy- yeah, she's singing synchronicity, electricity, yeah, oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything she's saying, it's just like oh. this is all atrocious. Like this is all bad, yeah, bad. And like the way that the movie is shooting is like alright guys, like, this is gonna be their song. And it's like, oh, this is all real bad, though. Like, yeah. real, real bad. I, th- I, felt, I felt the same thing the first time I watched it. I was like, if this is gonna be the song at the end, this is terrible. Thankfully, it has no pieces of that involved. <laughs> and then this is when he goes out, that, you know, they're out to dinner, the three of them, and like, this, it sort of becomes like a weird, kind of like bromance, romance, like, love it's like triangle. a love triangle. Yeah, it, it becomes a love triangle really quick. And, like, in the movie, it makes sense, but, like, in real life, it's just, like, awkward. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like just, weird just... sexual tension between your girlfriend and, like, your new protege. And also, like, it feels like there's sexual tension between Zac Efron and Jane, like, and Wes yeah. Bentley. You know? Yeah, yeah, there is a little bit of weird sexual tension going on between them, too. And they're out to dinner, and, like, Emily Ratajkowski, like, wants to go to their, their Stanford party, or, like, you know, or oh, Stanford yeah. to throw in a party, and Wes Bentley's just like, wait, who's that friend again? Like, I can't keep track of all your friends. Yeah. And then Zac Efron goes with her, and this is when they sort of become friends, kind of, for the first time, because there's guys, like, talking shit about Emily Ratajkowski, and then Zac Efron goes up to him, and he says... Another great oh, line. Oh, do I have it written down? I don't know. No, I don't. Damn it. It's, a, it's, it's it, if you... When you guys jerk yourself off, is it at the same time or do you rotate or something? Oh, <laughs> man, I wish I had the full quote. Yeah. And then the guy does not respond, and then Zac Efron just punches him in the face. But then they get sucker punched, yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. And then they get kicked out of the party, basically. 
And the, the whole party's lame. Like, there's just, like, you know, small talk. Is like, I love music. Like, what she... I, the guys, they're talking about, like, you know, what she does. She's like, I'm an assistant to a musician. The guy's like, oh, I love music. Like, what musician is it? And she's like, oh, he's a DJ. And she's like, he's like, oh, that's not really my kind of music. And she's like, oh, like, that's just, like, the kind of party that this is. That, again, it's sort of like the rest of the world. That, like, DJs, that electronic music is not music. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, if you're watching this movie, like you get it, like you're 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 in, like you know that these people are cool, or yeah, yeah hopefully, or you're just watching it like us, like super skeptically <laughs> from the background. Like this whole movie, I feel like we're jumping around, but I feel like this whole movie is just like a series of music videos. It is, and I think that another thing that um we didn't talk about yet is that it's just like it's all foreshadowing. Like there's like tons and tons of like throw it in your face foreshadowing, like with the like you need to listen, you know, like all of these like little like tidbits of life that are thrown at Zach Efron are just like huge pieces of foreshadowing later in the movie just stacked together. That's why it makes it feel like it jumps around so much because like they've like give you one scene that completely is just like lead up for another scene that didn't happen for right. 20 minutes, but and that foreshadowing might just be like a line in his song. You know what I mean? Like it's not like foreshadowing to anything important. It's just like oh yeah, yeah this yeah. is going to come back at some point and so, in some way later. Yeah, if they give you like that like weird like background like seriousness music that they were playing for a second like they'll like give you that and then you'll be like oh yeah this is definitely foreshadowing and that's when they go to the music festival to sell drugs and make money and i guess also just have fun yeah this like fake edc type situation it's pretty cool and like he gets a voicemail from Sophie, and this is another thing that like doesn't make sense. That like if you've ever been to any kind of concert or music festival, like you know, that, like you can no cell phone people. reception, which no he even uses as an excuse later. But like he gets a voicemail from her, and it is like crystal clear audio, and she's like, again, no sound, again, no sound, no sound, like you know, no noise pollution in the right. one random area that he's standing. And a giant music festival. I love it here. And then he meets up with Sophie, and then she, he's like, are you rolling? And she says, never. But she is rolling, and then like, gets Zac Efron high, and then they start making it out. Then things get out of hand. Then, then it, takes them three, it takes them three seconds to get from where EDC is held to yep. Vegas, which is anybody that has ever been there will tell you that that's like an hour and a half ride. Like, it's but, you know. definitely not close. Within the world of the movie, it's totally doable. It feels 20 like 20 seconds. Yeah, they walk there. They walk from their <laughs> Vegas Speedway back to the Strip. So, And they go to, they get a hotel room, and they have sex, and then they wake up, and they, they have rooms. Did they get a rooms. hotel room, or did she have a hotel room? Ooh, I don't know. That's a good question. But they do get a reception. I remember that part. Now that you're saying that, because this is like part of the thing where, where I was hung up on with her and like the, the school, and like I can't afford school. When I was watching this with um, some of my other friends, they were commenting on how she can't afford school but has this ridiculous car. She stays in you know this grand like a suite with a grand piano in it at the Par- at Paris Paris in Vegas. Like I feel like maybe that's all James' stuff, and she's just like on the list. You know what I mean? Because that's what they're making fun of her at the party for. You know, that they're saying that she's banging her boss and he's paying her bills because like it makes sense to me yeah. that he would have given her a car. Or that's his car. And he's letting her cool. Drive it. I get that part. But like all it of her clothes, like modely clothes. I mean, I guess that's like maybe like boyfriend purchases. He also probably pays her more than he should. I don't know. It's just, but yeah, I mean, everything that she has is either directly or indirectly through him. True. And that's the whole thing in the movie that, like, once she finally breaks free of him, spoiler alert, then she has to work like this Nothing. shitty sell coffee yeah. job just to sort of make ends meet. But so after they have sex and they have room service, and she orders like a burger and he orders pancakes, and she she says, "How are they?" And he says, 
unbelievable. And I don't know, like, no room service has ever been unbelievable. <laughs> I want to know, better question is, who the hell's eating so much the day after they took drugs? I don't know. Like, this is a question that Rachel and I had watching this movie. We're like, we've taken a lot of drugs and we've never been super <laughs> hungry the next morning. Like, you know, like 8 a.m., rise and shine. I'm starving. Like, that's not how it works. Oh, but, but, like, room service is always, like, Shit, super yeah. expensive and, like, really cold by the time it gets there. And, like, pancakes don't travel well anyway. Like, there's no way. That, that was like, delicious just, like, room service. Unbelievable. At the Paris, Paris. Definitely not, like, a super nice hotel in Vegas or anything, so... Yeah. And so what's funny is that the next day he meets up with his bros again, and they're, like, pissed at him for abandoning them. But at the same time, they're like, yo, as long as she's an eight and a half, like, we're okay Eight and a half when she's, like, not ready or something. It was, yeah. like, a weird, yeah. You know, like, yeah, so, so not, like, an eight and a half, like, when she's all good to go. Like, eight and a half, like, when she wakes up or whatever, yeah. basically. Oh, man, but it's like, it's, like a, it's like another place where, like, conflict could happen, and they could be like, you know, like, why'd you leave us, Yeah, Whatever. you're such a dick. Like, can't believe this. Yeah, and Brotato's always so concerned with keeping <laughs> the group together. Like, he is he is the epitome. Like, he, that's why he became Brotato in my head, is because, like, there's always, like, one kid that's, like, really concerned with keeping the group together for no reason. Cole seems pretty self-sufficient, and I mean, like, apparently he just dipped on you guys movie time two nights ago. So, like, it's not like, you know, he, like, gets yeah, lost club, right? and, like, dies. Yeah. Like, we need to meet back here. And he's like, okay, cool. But, like, you know, if he gets lost, you'd be like, oh, that's my friend that gets lost all the time. I'm sure he'll make it back. You know, for, like, as sort of irresponsible and sort of nothings as they are in terms of where they are in life, they're all super, like, well able to take care of themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're never getting into trouble. They're all respectful, responsible, you know. It's just, it's strange. Like they're all so like mature grown ups, just like yeah. complete like mess ups and every other. Like, I don't know. It's just a weird mixture. Yeah, it is. It's really funny. And so we cut back to work, and Tanya Romero, who is this like breakthrough client that really got Cole on the board, she calls back and she's having problems. But then he gets a text at the same time from James, and he says, "Come over, big fight." And he's just like, "Oh no, he found out about me and Sophie." Yeah. And then he goes over, and like it's just like this weird moment of like cinematic conflict, except it's just him messing around. There's a UFC fight on. Yeah, and UFC Sophie's foreshadowing. We get a little fight. bit of UFC foreshadowing here. Yep, a little bit of MMA and Muay Thai. Yeah. This is apparently the next day after they bang, too, because it's like been like yeah. one, like, you know, one day. Not only is there not a conflict here... But he's like, hey, you know what? You're going to go on tour with me. And she's like, wait, what? Like every, like even better, even cool. better. You just banged my girlfriend, and here's a new computer. And then we go back to work, and Cole gets a huge bonus at work. Like, everything is just, like, coming up Cole for no reason. Even though like, he's, he's disappointed not... in himself. <laughs> he's not doing anything well or good. No. Just, like, life is throwing him, like, like hey, if you try, like, a little bit, like, you're going to get rewarded <laughs> We had a beautiful girlfriend, you can sleep with her with no consequences, <laughs> get a grand new computer, go on tour with your idol, get a big bonus at work. As long as you have, like, no conscience, it's fine. Yeah. It's so weird. So weird. Yeah, it's, that's a, yeah, that's really, really bizarre. So then we get, where are we at now? We're, we're getting to the, the birthday? I think we're getting yeah, to the, the birthday. Yeah, the birthday. And they, they're, like, James is, like, drunk for the last, like, half of the movie, and he's, like, really he's, drunk on his birthday. I, th- I think he, like, knows Cole Banger, so he's just spiraling out of control into this, like, drunken stupor. 
And they get back to the house, and like Emily Ratajkowski's pissed off. And they start eating cake with their bare hands, and then they <laughs> go. Does, who? What heathen eats cake with their bare hands? Right. Wes Bentley <laughs> does, man. Apparently. What I love it. about it, though, is that like I can see him, you know, drunk and angry, doing it himself. But the first piece he cuts, he just hands to Zach Efron. <laughs> I know. Very, Doesn't very put it on sexual tension. He just like just hands, hands him cake. hands cake to him. Yeah. And Zach Efron like starts eating. He's like, "Hey, it's it's really good." And then they go out to a strip club, and I guess between the cake and whiskey and everything, Zach Efron goes to the bathroom to puke. puke and yeah, his phone behind, and like a real idiot, Sophie's <laughs> like, "I don't understand. Nothing about this makes sense. Like, it's such a forced reveal. This is such a forced conflict. Like, because number one, doesn't she know that they're out together? Like, why would she call yeah. him? Well, she, like, stormed off to bed, but I mean, like, I would assume if both of them left that you would know that they left together on his birthday, right? right? Okay, yeah. And number two, who's already setting their picture of her to be them, like, from... Yes, what, yes, this, like, like hotel room naked shot, <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I love that part. He like looks at the phone. It's like clearly this picture where they're not. Neither of them are wearing shirts in a hotel room, like with Vegas perfectly in the background. You know what I mean? Like every every clue that he could get in one picture, he got. And so he goes into the bathroom and just starts like kicking the shit out of Cole. And this is when he does his MMA. He sort of like flips him over his back. Yeah. And this is also the point in the movie where I just completely forgot James's name. Don't know how that happened, but I was just like, I don't remember what this character's name is. Because <laughs> it's just like, it almost doesn't matter. Like, it's just like, oh, no, none DJ, of them young yeah. DJ, pretty girl, whatever. Yeah. And then the whole big, like, the actual conflict of this is not like the fact that there are relationships on the rocks, but that Zac Efron's no longer invited to Summerfest. He's no and... longer, well, he thinks he's no longer going to play Summerfest because he banged his, like, mentor's girlfriend. This is sort of his, like, all-is-lost moment. You know, he sort of doesn't have a chance with the girl anymore. He lost his mentor. He lost his future. He goes out to breakfast with his friends, and, like, you know, a couple of them go to chase some girls. And this is when Squirrel says, this isn't temporary. We've always been those guys. I mean, Cole, are we ever going to be better than this? Are we ever And this be is, like, Squirrel, you know, he's super depressed. Like, this is, like, the, this is sort of, like, the most emotional scene in the movie, and they don't really do it justice. No, I think it's even more emotional than, like, the scene when, you know, like, the next scene when Squirrel dies. Like, this scene, it could be, like, really deep. But, um, yeah, they just brushed right over it after the, are we ever going to be better than this? And are you recording this? Well, yeah, what's weird about it is that, you know, the first time I saw the movie, obviously you don't know that Squirrel dies. But this time I knew that he was going to die. And so I'm watching him throughout the movie or, you know, as we're getting toward the end. And this scene, like, you can see that he's, like, really upset and he wants something more, which makes his death even more tragic. But then when they go get that house and they buy the house and they throw a huge party and you're watching Squirrel, he's just, like, going really hard. But, like, he's having a good time. Like, he's not, like, trying to, like, hold back. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, like weird sort of like we can see this heartbroken kid but i guess you know i guess it makes it sadder i don't know but you know he's just he just doesn't know what else to do the worst is like how shitty are your friends that you don't notice that like your friends like super depressed like he has this like heartfelt kind of moment with cole and cole just like ignores it and he's like yeah man my life sucks too not like dude you're really depressed like do you need help or anything they're not worried about the future, I think, is the problem. They're not worried about, like, people's mindsets. The only thing that they're really worried about is, like, how, like, the house is going to get them arrested, right? Yeah. And, you know, because it's, like, this crazy party house where there's nudity and there's drugs and there's beer and there's DJs and they're singing Santeria and there's all this stuff going on. And, like, it's, like, the ultimate party. Like, this is the life, you know what I mean? Like, this is, like, yeah, everything Project that wants. Project X style. It, like, chicken fights in the pool. It's just, like, everything you want in a party. Like, every cliche from a party is here. And for all intents and purposes, it's, like, the greatest opening, like, kickoff. 
cops don't come, you know, everybody seems to file out. Yeah, and then, you know, they wake up, about, there's no other people there, there's nothing really broken. And they're trying to find out, the, the, the big thing that went wrong is, like, he's trying to remember what the blonde girl's name was that he might have banged. As he's, as and, he's trying to stretch out his jaw, like, the, 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 the hint that he was on drugs all last night. <laughs> and then we find out that Squirrel died. Yeah. And it's super Pretty sad. Pretty abruptly. They're like, yo, he's gray, man, he's gray. Call and the, like, call the police. Call they the call ambulance. The cops. And they don't have the address, but it also doesn't matter, because like, he's dead. Like He's not like coming back. You know yeah. what I mean? like, it just, It's just strange. I don't know. They, they, they play it, though, like they could save him, but I guess it's just them beat up and worried and et cetera, et cetera. So then we get to Cole now. He's all sad that Squirrel died. And so, you know, jumping, you know, four months ahead of time, like usual, he just shows... I'm not skipping anything, right? He just shows back up at James's house, like, immediately... Well, there before before that, like we see, we see the three of them outside after Squirrel dies, and they start fighting each other. Like, this oh, is the yeah, first yeah, conflict yeah. that the crew is actually yeah, you know right. seeing, right? And so this is like them actually at their low point. That yeah, and Zac Efron calls them out like you're not a fucking actor. And somebody says we're ruining lives. Do you realize that? <laughs> okay. I, think, I think that's Cole. Yeah, he's saying that because he's he's accusing his drug dealer friend of ruining lives because his friend OD'd. So. And what's funny, though, is that, like, how little people can handle everything. Like, you know, they're so able to, like, roll the punches when everything's going good. And I understand that this is a huge thing that happened. Like, you know, one of your core four gets killed or, you know, dies. But, like, nothing. Like, they can't handle anything. Like, they're choking each other out. They're, like, fighting. They're, like, it just, it just like, goes from zero to 60 in a real, real Yeah, yeah it does. It goes really bad really fast. Cole goes to James's house, and he, you know... This is, like, you know, 35 seconds of, of conflict resolution here, just, like, chunked in. Well, I guess it's kind of, in a way... I mean, I'm giving the credit, the movie more credit than it deserves, but in a way, it's sort of like Cole is inspired by Squirrel's death that, you know, he wants to be better than this, and the way that he can be better than this is to actually come up with that song. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, so, give closure to his friend's death. And so he's listening through his phone, he's listening to the voicemails, he hears these sounds, and he goes to Cole's, or he goes to James's house, and he's like, you know, experimenting. He, he needs the studio to, like, finally do this. And then he's talking about, like, you know, he sort of has this heart-to-heart with James, and he's like, you know, no, he says, like, no one thinks they're a bad person, but I don't think I'm a good one. Yeah. And then James says to him something like, you're not even a real person until you're 27. Yeah, that's a great line. I like the one before and, that, too, when he's like, I'm sorry, and he's like, you look like shit, just out of nowhere, and then it just continues on the conversation. <laughs> what I kind of like about the movie, and I think it just, it's the only way that it would make sense, is that the only reason that James is sort of receptive to Cole coming back is because Emily Ratajkowski's left. You know what I mean? Like, if she was still there, I think that he wouldn't be able to bring Cole back into his life. But now that she's gone, now that time has passed, he's able to sort of move on and be like, all right. Yeah, I think he always kind of knew that that they were, like, quasi-dating, but she was his his manager, and they were, like, she was a little young for him. He, like, admits that he's an older guy sometimes, so, yeah. And this is when he goes for that run, and his phone dies, and he hears the world, and he's finally got his signature, and he's ready for Summerfest. And, like, he finally, you know, between everything that James has taught him, and between everything that he's finally realized, and maybe Squirrel's taught him, and he's just sort of lived in his life, he's finally got that the sound. Summerfest the set, sound. that sound, yeah. his signature. And we go to Summerfest, 
And this is a scene that I told you that, like, this movie kind of lost me the second time through, that I didn't like it as much as the first time. But then we get to the scene at the end, and, like, it's so over-the-top and fake. Perfect. So there's, like, and so it's, many it's technically so thing, technical things that are wrong with this, but I love that scene. And he goes up to the DJ set, because he's one, opening for James. One who, what, what opening DJ set at a music festival has to bring their own decks? Did you, know. did you know that? He just has them in his backpack. So Nicky Romero gets off the stage, leaves yep. his decks up there, but Cole brings his own decks, like his own CDJs, to, up to the, <laughs> <laughs> and has to hook them up himself. There's not even audio guys there. Like, he is, he's hooking them up himself. But what I love about it is that the entire crowd, again, tens of thousands of people... It's like 5 p.m., Stone silent. Yeah, in front of nobody, an H&M. Nobody is making a sound. And Zac Efron says, What's up? I'm Cole Carter. <laughs> Nobody should know him, by the way. And yeah, but, but they... Yeah, yeah. He starts in the slowest way possible. That, like, I understand, like, it's his sound, it's his signature, it's exactly what James also, wanted. Also, there's, like, how is there set breaks in a music festival? Did you ever, like, if you're at a music festival, there's not really, like, there's, like, you know, a quick transition, not, like, this, like, 15 minutes of downtime. So he starts, like, playing, like, Super earlier slow. in the movie, he was playing a song and it took forever to build, but it finally built. Here he's just, like, playing wind chimes, and he's playing, like, electrical buzzes. Oh, yeah. And, like, just, crowd just like, oh, by the way, this is this is a live DJ set. That's also something that's pretty amazing. <laughs> he he has like you know mini controller up there and just starts like live DJing, just like super. He's sampling himself in real time. Yeah, and it sort of isn't really on rhythm, but kind of is. Like, it is. It yeah. is for the most. I don't think there's many DJs that just go up there and start live sampling themselves into the songs. Maybe like Robert DeLong or something, but like <laughs> not, not too many dudes are just up there with like no plan set and just like, yeah, I'm going to organically make this song from scratch now. But what's really great in terms of the movie, and we were talking about this earlier that you want to talk about it, was that as Zac Efron is up there on stage and he's finally got his happy place, he's finally got his closure, he's making the crowd go nuts, you know, James Reed's backstage, he's smiling. You know, this is where he's meant to be. We see everybody else in their happy place. They're getting closure. That Emily Ratajkowski goes to school. You know, the yeah, actor. So much closure in this movie. Just like the song fixed everything, man. If you just find your sound, you can make the world right. That's what. Brotato is back promoting, and he seems better than ever. Brotato's killing it. He's like head promoter. And then Zac Efron meets back up with Emily Ratajkowski at the club or at the uh, the coffee shop, and he takes her up on a piece of free pie offer. And then he plays his new song for her, and, and she like, kind of does this weird, this weird dance in the table. <laughs> it's the moment before it starts. Exactly. Credits roll, and then halfway through the credits, Tanya, the one who lost her house, secret earlier in the movie, scene, secret scene. If you didn't leave the theater, scene. if you didn't leave the theater and you stayed through the credits, this is what you. Get. This is Professor Xavier coming out right now. She opens the door and sees Zac Efron's shoebox full of cash on her front porch. Yeah, that he ding dong ditched on her. Yeah. All is right with the world now. Completely, par- so much closure. The movie comes completely full circle. They tie up every possible loose end. Not really. They don't explain how or why, but they just completely close it. There's nothing left to the imagination in that movie. It's just like yeah, it's the like, greatest movie ever. Just... There's, there's no questions you can ask. <laughs> no, you, you know exactly you, what happened. To everybody. Yeah. Cole Carter is now a famous DJ. Uh, Emily Ratajkowski is back. Uh, in school, uh, actor guys acting now, Brotato, yeah, slaying it. Yeah, because everything's perfect. 
Squirrel's up in he- maybe it's all Squirrel. He's up in heaven, you know, shining down good good fortunes. He's, he's playing. He's playing like <laughs> like nice little samples for Cole to collect along the way of his life. Now <laughs> he's dropping quarters everywhere. Oh man, <laughs> recipe Squirrel. R.I.P. Squirrel. So I think that'll just about do it for the first episode of Zack Attack. Is there anything about the movie that we didn't cover that you wanted to mention? No, I think we went over pretty much all, everything that I loved about it and everything I hated about it. So, the, like we said at the beginning of the episode, what we're doing is we're going backwards in time, which means that the next episode that's going to come out on May 1st is going to be Neighbors. Um, which I is think a great bet- movie. I love that movie. Can't wait to watch movie. it again. Yeah. I think between now and then we might put out a bonus episode if we have time, uh, yeah. which is Dirty Grandpa, because that comes out on Blu-ray, I believe, sometime this month in April. Cool, that's cool. I didn't know that. I think that's the only one that's going to happen that's been out that isn't available. Like, you can't rent it yet. It's not like on demand. It's no longer in theaters. So we're going to do that. If there's a bonus, or if we don't have time for a bonus, we might make that the May movie. Uh, But then, you know, this movie, when Baywatch comes out, or the summer... Oh, I'm so excited. Actually, this summer when Neighbors 2 comes out, or next summer when Baywatch comes out, we'll do those as special bonus episodes. You know, Zack Attack sort of live. Zack Attack. Up, keeping up with you know the the the, the man the myth the legend himself <laughs> Zach Efron. I'm just severely disappointed we didn't get any Oscar nominations for this. That was it. Me too. This was a very big bomb in theaters. <laughs> it was the fifth worst opening movie fifth worst, ever. Fifth worst per screen average for films that opened on 2003 or. Two dozen screens or more. And then the next week, two movies came out that were even worse. It was Gem and the Holograms and some other movies. So, like, oh, wow. there's just, like, the stretch of time last October where just, like, movies came out that just nobody saw. This like, people were just like, bad. we're just not going to see any of these movies. I'm actually kind of disappointed I didn't go see this movie in theaters. I would have loved to have seen it. If I would have wanted to see it in theaters, I would have single-handedly so brought them out of that fifth place. <laughs> I would just went so many times. I remember seeing the trailer so many times. I was just like, "This is because like the whole the name of the movie is off that Justice song, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the really famous song." And it's just like the, the trailer is cool because it just it's basically young beautiful people having fun set to cool music. Yeah, and it's like this is exactly kind of the movie. Like we know it's not going to be a good movie, but it's the kind of movie that you want to see. That it just especially if I was a teenager, yeah, yeah, and just nobody saw it. Nope. But I think it's a great way to kick off Zack Attack because this is the movie that really sort of got you obsessed with Zac Efron. Definitely. And sort of, I, I fell in love with this movie. And so I'm excited to go backwards and sort of see where he came from. Same, moving from same definitely. So go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub for all things Zack Attack. You can find our other podcasts, Cage Club, Keanu Club, and Monkey Club, and even more at those two places. So go there and enjoy. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Joe, too. And we will see you next time on Zack Attack. <laughs>